We're good? Okay, so we're going to continue on with our worship service, and Lord willing, this will be the concluding message from 1 John 5, from the first book of John, before we go move on. So um, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 5. I'm going to read, um, I believe, verses 13 through 21, the last verses of the chapter. You can follow along on the overhead once Cindy gets it up for us. She's working on it. So I just want to, here we are. All right, Cindy. Okay, so let me read 1 John 5, verses 13 to 21, and then um, we'll dig into this. Chapter 5 of uh, 1 John really is a just a summary of everything that John's been talking about in the first four chapters. So we're basically going to be doing a summary of what we've learned and gained from 1 John as we target those last verses in uh, chapter 5. But I want to read it. Please follow along because when you're reading it, God's speaking to you through his word. So here we go. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know, be fully assured that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, make sure you underline that in your Bibles, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, <coughs> we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will for him give life to those who commit sin, not leading to death. Therefore, there is, a son, there is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should make request for this, for that type of sin. Verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin. Let me read that one more time. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not leading to death. Verse 18, we know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, and he identifies that person in his son, Jesus Christ. This is true God and eternal life. If you have a personal Bible, I beg you, highlight that. I'm going to read that verse one more time. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order... <coughs> that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true. In his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. No other way, church. Little technons, little children. Guard yourselves from idols. Jesus, I can't wait to hear what I have to say. So let's look at verse 4. So in our last time together, we looked at this, some scriptures. 
which caused all of us to pause and reflect on our walk with the Lord. How are you doing with your walk with the Lord? We looked at that phrase, sin leading to death. We looked at what it meant as it relates to true born-again believers. And we had asked the question when we looked at that, can a Christian who is born again become unborn? Can a Christian fall from grace and lose his salvation? And sadly, there's a lot of churches today that teach that heretical doctrine. And so what did we do? We did the right thing. We looked into the scriptures and we learned from the scriptures that a true born-again Christian can never lose his salvation. And we looked at the words of Christ. So where does it, where does it back that up, Pastor Jack? Well, I'm so glad you asked. Slide four. John 10, 27, 28. <clears throat> my sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. Let's not gloss over that. Let's look at that again. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. I know my sheep. My sheep, they, they follow me. I give eternal life to them. That's the sheep. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Highlight that. If anybody ever tries to get you to doubt your salvation, highlight that. They will never perish. No one can snatch them out of God's hand, church. So with all of the evidence from the scriptures that we had looked at last week, the answer for you and I is very clear. The sin under death can never mean a spiritual death or loss of salvation as it pertains to somebody that is born again. <clears throat> we then, slide five, looked at William Barclay. And I want to read William Barclay again. This is slide five and six, Cindy. So let's look at what William says. Let's just re-look at this one more time. Now, in life, it is a fact of experience that there are two kinds of sinners. <clears throat> so long, now don't miss this, don't gloss over it. Think about what he's teaching us here. So long as a man in his heart of hearts hates sin, hates himself for sinning, so long as he knows that he is sinning, he is never beyond repentance and therefore never beyond forgiveness. This is number slide six. But once a man begins to revel in sin, to make sin the deliberate policy of his life. And he loses all sense of terror and the awfulness of sin. And we pray to God that would never happen to us, church. And also, that feeling of disgust, he is on his way to death. For he is on the way to a state where the idea of repentance will not and cannot enter his head. The sin unto death is the state of the man who has listened to sin so often and refused to listen to God so often that he has come to a state where he loves his sin. And when he regards sin as the most profitable thing in the world. 
And I hope that sends shivers up our spine, church. For the believer who falls so deeply into sin, it would seem then that the Lord could choose to discipline him severely or to discipline him to the point where he takes him or her home to be with him. For those, however, who reject Christ, they reject the eugalion, the gospel, his death, his burial, his resurrection. The scriptures are clear, as we learned last week from Hebrews. There remains no sacrifice for sin. Slide 7, Cindy. Then we, we, we arrived at verse 17. And John says what? All, a decay, all unrighteousness is sin. Hamatina. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not leading to death. And you can see... The important part here, like if you see my pointer, not ooh, not cross leading to thanatos, not leading to death. So all unrighteousness, pasa adikeia, all unrighteousness is sin. There is a sin not leading to death. So we looked at that. And when we asked the question last week, what does that word unrighteousness mean? What did John mean when he used that word adikeia? We learned that the word means, it's the way John used it, is that which does not conform to justice, evil doing, morally wrong behavior, iniquity, illegal, shameful. And we learned that all of this behavior inwardly and outwardly is sin. We've learned from the scriptures that sin is inexcusable. Sin is a violation of God's law. So John, as we learned last week, or in our last time together, he was using some really strong language here because he in no way wants to minimize sin. That's why he says all unrighteousness is sin. As I said in our last time together, sadly many people today seem to think far too lightly of their sin. I can remember a heroin addict that I was working with years and years ago <clears throat> that just did not want to stop, did not want to get help, and she says, that's all right, Jesus forgives me. And it cost her her life. In fact, many people today don't seem to really care if they sin. They actually seem to think in our society today that some sins, well, they're permissible. But church, we've learned that's not what the Word of God has to say about it, as we've just read. Just because there are sins that do not lead to death, in no way makes it okay to practice sin as a way of life. And as long as Dr. Carter and I are here, we're going to preach against sin. So we finished up last week. I asked some questions because I really want us to draw us into the text, into the verse. Do we tend to take lightly the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross? Do we see, does our behavior, does the way we live each day seem to say that, you know, we take that pretty lightly? So our faith, all of us, church, our faith must be anchored in the finished work of the Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And if our faith is anchored in anything else but Christ, we have absolutely no hope at all. Church, it is at the cross where everything in our life changed. 
The moment, the moment a person comes to a saving faith in Christ and his mouth is stopped and he realizes that he has no righteousness of his own, he knows there's no act that he can do on his own to make himself right with the Lord. His life then can begin to change because salvation is all God's work and it's all God's plan. The Holy Spirit will then come in and begin to permanently indwell that person. Let's look at verse 18, slide, five, uh, slide 8, Cindy. John continuing here. We know that no one who is born of God sins, but he who was born of God keeps him, <clears throat> and the evil one does not touch him. So is John saying here, wait a minute, sometimes our English Bibles, no matter what they are, just don't do justice to the Greek. Is John saying that a person who's born again never sins? I think we need to tease this verse apart because we need to really fully understand, okay, John, what are you really saying here? What do you want us to understand here? I want you to notice those words there. Know that no one who's born of God sins. Born of God. Born of God. We've seen that statement before in John's teaching back in verse 1 of this chapter. Let's take a moment and look back at what John said so we can really unpack this verse that we know that no one who was born of God sins. And there's that word that we're going to look at again because you all learned your Greek. There's that word ex where we get our word exit from, right? So there's our born of God, theos. So let's, let's dig in. Slide nine, Cindy. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. So, here's the question I asked back when I taught this. What makes a person a Christian? Think deeply about that. What makes a person a Christian? Now, some folks will answer this question with things like, you know, you know, I'm a really good person. I go to church on Sundays. I live a good life. I, I help people. So the inference is they think that they make themselves a Christian by their behavior, by their actions. And the emphasis there is on self. Do you think the way you behave actually makes you a Christian? Mm -mm. What does the text say? Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That word born, genetia, do you see up there? means to cause to be. And well, of course you saw the word of, which is where we get our English word exit from. So what is John trying to emphasize and get across to us here? You see, John is placing the emphasis on what God has done to you and I, not what you and I could ever do to ourselves. You cannot cause yourself to be born again. 
Only God the Holy Spirit can do that. So, church, new life, being born of God is something, as we've learned before several months ago, that has originated, it's ek, it's originated out of God. It is something that is originating out of God that he alone produces in you and I. It is God that regenerates us. It is God alone who gives life to that person. So then a person cannot become a Christian unless God makes that person a Christian. I mean, the text is clear. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, or has been born, has been born of Theos, of God. And whoever loves the ones that are born of God or haven't been born of him, the Father loves that child. So to be born again, what does it mean? To be born again means that if you are truly born again, you receive a new nature. You become a new creature that has originated or been created in Christ Jesus. So if you and I are truly Christians, let's be honest. If everything we're learning from the Word of God is true, then we are different from what we once were. Are you different from what you once were? So first proof that we have been born again is that you and I believe that Jesus is the Christ. We believe that he is the eternal Son of God who has always existed with the Father from all eternity past. He is the eternal Son who then became flesh. He is the one who bore our sins in his own body on that cross so that you and I could be forgiven and set free. So our faith is entirely to be focused not on anything but the person whose name is Jesus the Christ. So with this solid background teaching that we receive from John, what does he mean when he says, well, no one who is born of God practices sin? Well, really, the idea then is no one who is born of God habitually, willfully, deliberately as a way of life will practice sin. Slide 10, 1 John 3, 9. Look at something else that John said. This is what he said. No one who is born of God, no one whose life has originated out of God, who's planted that new nature in him, will habitually, the idea here in the Greek is habitually practice sin. Because, why? Because his seed, his seed, that's where we get the word sperm from, his sperma, his seed, continually, that's not, that's mene, there is this continually abiding in that person. And you cannot continue. And there's the end of that word harmatine. So that it's like an action word. You can't continually sinning as a way of life because you have been born of God. Okay, very important that we see that. The child of God who has truly surrendered his life over to Christ cannot ever habitually continue to live in sin. And John is speaking here, if you look at the text, in absolute terms here. There's no gray areas in this text here, church. Those who are born of God will want to do what is right. They love the brothers and sisters of Christ. They believe in the Christ. 
and they refrain from the ongoing sinful habitual habits they used to practice. Here's the acid test. Are you still practicing the same sins you practiced as a way of life before you claimed that you got saved? Oh, it's getting quiet, Dr. Carter. Think about it. Are we practicing as a way of life the same garbage that we practiced before we claimed that we came to a saving faith in Christ? Search your hearts, church. Are there areas that you need to repent of? It's the Holy Spirit placing that finger on that spot in your heart right now that says, you know what? You've been, you've been chasing this for a long time. It's time to give it up. And John explains to you and I why a person who's born again cannot continue to habitually sin as a way of life. He said his sperma, his seed, permanently remains in him. That's a permanent setting down. That's the mene. He's permanently setting in that person. So that person cannot continue to practice sin because he is born of God. So what do we make of that? That word seed here, as it's used in the text, has the idea of offspring. And the manoi there, the idea of sperm, it's in the perfect tense. So the perfect tense, if you remember, not only marks out when you got saved, but you got saved back here if you did, and it should have ongoing, continuing results in your life here in the present. So I got saved back here. My life began to change. I'm now his offspring. That has ongoing, continuing results into the present because his sperm, his seed, is continually raised. So you, you got saved, and you're continually kept saved. So what does it reveal? It should reveal an abiding, ongoing influence that he has implanted himself inside you. Church, this is why a believer who is truly born again cannot continually practice sin as a way of life because you are his offspring. So that incorruptible seed of the word of God, it can't be corrupted, the incorruptible seed of the word of God that is now implanted in the soul, it's planted in there by God the Holy Spirit, has brought new life to your soul, and has made you a child of the living God. This is why no one who is born of God will continually, habitually want to practice sin as a way of life. If, you're, if you love that sin so much that you just have to practice it, then you have to really ask yourself, have I really come to saving faith in Christ? Do I love the booze and the crack cocaine and the heroin more than I love God? Which God am I chasing? Which God am I taking my wallet out and giving my time, talent, and treasure to? To the things of this world or to the living Christ? But John, now back in verse 18, goes on to say, He who was born of God keeps him, and the evil one does not touch him. So the question there is, who is the he? Who is the he? And what is he doing for the believer? I want to break that text down and make sure that we look at some of those key words there in the text. I want to make sure that we have that verse up. So, let's break it down. The word keeps. That's the Greek word tereo. It means 
to keep an eye on or to guard from life. So he who was born again or born of God keeps him. And the evil one does not touch him. So when I thought about the word keep, so what does that mean that God keeps him? Well, the word means to keep an eye on or guard from loss. So then here's the question. Who's doing the guarding and protecting? Who is the only one powerful enough to keep you? Church, it is Jesus the Christ. So then we need to ask the question, who is he guarding us from? Who is he protecting us from? The text answers the question, the evil one. The evil one. Who is Satan and most of his imps. He says, so the evil one cannot touch him. I had to ask myself, okay, what does that mean? Because we live in a fallen world. What does that mean? Cindy, if you want to throw up slide eight real quick, that's where we're at. This is important text here. We know that no one who was born of God sins. We covered that. But he who was born of God, God keeps him. God keeps him. That's Tere. Keeps him. And the evil one cannot touch him. So I had to ask myself, okay, the evil one obviously is talking about Satan and his imps, but the evil one cannot touch him. I had to ask myself, what does that mean? I wanted to really try to understand. I wanted to go back into text and say, John, what did you mean by that? And then looking at that word, haptomehi, I started to understand the word touch there really has more of the idea is to grip or to attach oneself to, to lay hold of. Church, Satan wants to possess you, and he wants to have you in his grip, and he will use whatever tools he can to attach himself to you, lay hold of you, and grip you. He wants to choke the spiritual life right out of you. He wants to attach himself to you. He wants you to question God. When things don't go right and tragedy hits, he wants you to put God on trial. But the one who's born of God, God keeps him. God guards him from loss. God protects his heart. How does God do that? Slide 11, Cindy. All right, God, so how do you do this? Because Satan wants to touch us. He wants to attach himself to us. He wants to have us in the grip of his life. He wants us to struggle with that addiction forever. He wants me to say, the bottle or your family, the heroin or your life. He wants to grab hold. He wants to hold you and grip you. But if you're born of God, God keeps you. So look at verse, look at verse 4, 1 John 4, 4, slide 11. You are from God, little children, and you have overcome them. And there's your answer, church. There it is, right in the text. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Right. See, sometimes we forget that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that gives us the ability to walk in the new life. And again, right. we are, and the whole world lies in well. That's first. That's chapter. We'll get there in a minute. So how does this apply to you today as a believer? It means that if you are truly a follower of Christ, you are under the very careful, watchful eye of the Lord, 
and he is guarding you from Satan and his ifs so that Satan is not allowed to really bring harm to you or destroy your life. He does not have permission to claim you back as his own. That's very important. Satan does not have permission ever to claim you back as his own. You can grieve the Holy Spirit. You can sin. But Satan can never have permission to claim you back as his own. He has no claim to your life anymore because the seed of God permanently indwells you. Here's something that we keep forgetting. You see, church, the true follower of Christ has been giving the supernatural power. Let me say it again and hear what I'm saying, and I'll back it up with the text like I always do. The true Christian has been given a supernatural power to overcome sin in his or her life and to walk in obedience with the Lord. The same power, Romans 6, read it when you get time, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the exact same 100% Holy Spirit power that is given to you to walk in a new way of life. The same power to walk in a new way of life. And it is to be a life that solely is there to bring glory and honor to the person of Jesus Christ, not to self. So then, no one who is born of God habitually will practice sin as a way of life. That's the acid test that you need to go home and get alone with God and ask yourself that question. And then 1 John 5, 19, as you can see, we know that we are of God. Do you know that you're of God? And the whole world lies in wickedness. We know. Edo. Very important words. Different than epinosis or gnosis. That word there, oedo, means that you are completely and fully sure. There's no question about it. Firmly sure. You, we could actually reread it this way. We can be sure of and fully, completely understand that we are born of God or our new life has originated out of God. And we've learned that God is the one who plants, that's the word sperma, who plants new life in us. And then John completes his text with, the whole world lieth in wickedness. Then I had to ask the question, okay, John, what did you mean when you used the word world, that word cosmos? What did you mean, John? John once, just 2,000 years ago when he penned this letter, it means the exact same thing today because God is immutable and his word never changes. The same thing that he penned 2,000 years ago is the same thing for you and I today. He wants us to know that Satan has brought corruption and deterioration to the world you and I are currently living in. He is the one that has corrupted the hearts and minds of men. That's why if you don't have God, the Holy Spirit in you, you have no hope. Zero. Satan has infected the world with sin, lust, pride, and rebellion against God. And I had asked myself when I thought about this, are there areas in my life that I'm still rebelling against God? Are there those secret sins that I feel that I need to pamper to make me feel a certain way? How about you? Slide 12. 
So let's go back one more time to 1 John 2, 15 and 16. And let's ask Chris, let's read this text because this is all a summary of what John has already been saying. What does he say? And again, you should highlight this in your Bible. Maybe read it every day. Do not agape toy the world. Do not love the things of the world. Let's just look at that line one more time. Let's look at it one more time and make sure we understand what we're reading. Don't fall asleep on me. Read it. I didn't write it. God did. Do not love the world. That's the strongest word for love there. That's agape toy. Don't love the things in the world. Why? If. The conditional clause. If anyone agapes the cosmos, the world, the love of the Father is what? Then he unpacks it a little bit more for us. <coughs> for all that is in the cosmos, the world, the lust of the flesh, that is the craving for sensual gratification, the lust of the eyes, that's the greedy longing of the mind, the boastful pride of life, meaning you have assurance in your own resources and stability, you don't need anything. That way of living and thinking is not from the Father, that's from the world. So John admonishes you and I to not love the world. The world here, he's not really talking about the globe. He's not talking about the globe. He's talking about a, 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 a system of, of active, hostile rebellion and pride that wants to displace the Lord and his rulership in your life. The world, as he's using it, really is more of a system of values and goals which God is completely not included in. It's a system where Satan is ruling. How is that fleshed out in our world today in 2021? How's that looking today? Think about the verse. Make sure that the verse helps you understand the world. You don't want the world to try to help you understand the verse. We're not eisegeting. We're exegeting. So let's make sure. So we're looking at what God has told us in his word. How's it showing up today? <clears throat> well, the culture, cultural agenda is more and more becoming more increasingly hostile towards Christians. It doesn't take a rocket science to figure that out, even if you're an unbeliever. What else do we see? And I know I'm going to lose a lot of people with this next statement. We see the traditional family. What is the traditional family? A father and a mother and their offspring. We see the traditional family under a severe attack by the homosexual alternative lifestyle movement. We see through that movement the promotion of sensual and sexual promiscuity. The world you and I live in it says that it's perfectly acceptable to be sexually active before marriage. The world says, you know, Live together, try it out. If that don't work, go to the next one. And if that don't work, go to the next one. And if that one doesn't work, well, you can go to the next one. Even if you're not a believer, that's the world you live in. We, we have this increasing acceptance of violence and rape and materialism and hedonism flooding the homes over the television sets. Hedonism, do we remember what that means from hedonism, from Scripture? That's a word found in your Scripture. 
It means pursuing pleasure without any restraints. I'm entitled to it. I can do what I want, when I want, how I want. I can do whatever I want. There's this also this increasing, really increasing decline in personal integrity and character and business ethics. Hear me this morning, church. These things, this system of active rebellion did not originate with the Father. It originated from Satan, who has corrupted the heart of man, and it's a very destructive system. And I will be teaching on the Bible and that LGBTQ stuff. I might get shot, but I'm going to be teaching on it. And I'm going to show you some things that are going to be startling to you. And we're going to preach it here. Church, there is a seductive, powerful influence which you and I as Christians need to continually resist. And we who are truly born of God have been given the power to resist resist these influences. Do not play in Satan's playground. Don't eat his candy. Don't play in his playground. If there are things that you're watching that you should not be watching, get them out of your home. If there are relationships that you've gone too far, you need to reset those relationships. If that woman is not your wife, you have, it's, you have no right to bed her down and vice versa. No right. That's not popular, but that's what the Word of God says. Man leaves his father mother, and he's joined to his wife. Not his girlfriend, not a playmate. His wife is Gune, his wife. Beware of the places you go and the people that you associate with. The Bible says, don't you know that bad company corrupts good morals? If those people that you're friends with are not encouraging you to walk with the Lord, to grow in your relationship with the Christ, how can they really be your friends? I'm preaching now, Dr. Carter, I don't know. So the more that the love of the world grows and prevails in your life, you will find that the more the love of God decays in your life. Slide 13. We're almost done. We've got about 16 more pages. No, I'm just kidding. How about James 4.4? 4? You adulteresses, what did he mean? You who are having illicit love affairs with the world, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility? Look at the, look at the strength of the text here. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world takes his stand against and makes himself an enemy of God. I want to make sure you understand that word friendship. I want you to think for a minute, what comes to your mind when you say, well, that's my friend. Think of the word friendship today. I want you to think, well, what does that word mean to you? What comes to your mind? And then I really needed to say, okay, you know, more importantly, what did James mean when he penned this in the scripture 2,000 years ago? It's a Greek form of the word philea. It's only used here in this verse. It's not what we call a hapax lagamina. It's not a word that only occurs once. It's a Greek form of the word philea. If you think of the word Philadelphia, we think of phila and adelphos. Adelphos meaning brothers, brothers, phila meaning love. So phileo love is like a brotherly love. But the interesting way that this word here, the, the, the way that James mentions it is he's talking more of this very powerful, strong, 
emotional attachment. A very strong emotional attachment. In fact, Britannica defines it as a state of enduring affection. This is Britannica's definition of the word friendship. A state of enduring affection, esteem, intimacy, and trust between two people. Are you trusting the world with your life? Are you esteeming the world? Are you having an intimate relationship with the things of the world? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, which is not from the Father, but from the world? Slide 13. So this begs the question. And I know these are tough questions, but they need to be asked. What things in this world do you and I find ourselves having these deep, longing, intimate attachments to? Think about it. And don't beat me up because I love Florida. What things in this world do we find ourselves having a deep, longing, intimate attachment to? Where that's here and God's down here, if at all. What is consistently hijacking your heart? Church, think about it. What, what are those idols? What are those stumbling blocks you have set up in your home that have dethroned the Lord from your life? Or what are the stumbling blocks or places you're visiting? The drug dealer? That's a stumbling block. The booze, the bars, the clubs, that's a stumbling block. What are the idols, think about what's hijacked your heart, what are those idols, those stumbling blocks that have set up in your home that have dethroned the Lord? This isn't up there, so you will keep that slide up, Cindy. Ezekiel had something to say about this when he penned this letter. I'm going to read you from the book of Ezekiel, it's chapter 14, it's verses 3 and 4. If you want to look it up, you can, but that's where it is. I should have put it on the slide, but for some reason I didn't. But when I was thinking about what James says about the word friendship, I wanted to see how I could link it because Scripture always validates Scripture. So, Ezekiel 14. Son of man, these men have set up idols in their hearts, and they have put right before their face the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I even be consulted by them at all? Therefore, Speak to them and tell them, Thus saith the Lord, Any man of the house of Israel who sets up idols in his heart puts right before his face a stumbling block of his iniquity and then comes to the prophet and says, I, the Lord, will be brought to give him an answer in matter of view of the multitude of his idols. So then, being a friend of the world, having that strong, intimate, powerful affection and attachment to the world, and being self-seeking, refusing to surrender your life to the Lord and walk loving and obedience with Him, God is the one that's going to give you over to suffer the consequences of that behavior. Real quick, and I'm going to stop after this. Uh, slide 14. So, real quick, just the three things here and then we're done. But I don't want you to miss this. I know this is a lot to fit in your ear, as my father-in-law says often but I think you need to hear it. So, the lust of the flesh, right? The lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life were not from the Father, from the world. So let's have Scripture validate Scripture. We're not, I'm not going to exegete this all the way, but let's look at Galatians 5, 19-21. Now the deeds. So we're in Ergon. where we get our work, work from. Now the deeds, the works or practices of the flesh are evident. 
they're publicly known, which are immorality, that's adultery, impurity, porneia. By the way, that word porneia is where we get the word pornography from. Sensuality, which is moral filth. Idolatry. Sorcery, that's where we get our word pharmacy from, pharmakia. That's really the origins of witchcraft. Enmities. Enmity means hostility and hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. Look at verse 21, envying. Drunkenness, the prototype of all addiction. Carousing. I'm going to go down here to the drug dealer and get my, get my pot or get my heroin or my drugs. I'm going to carouse with them. And things like these of which I forewarn you. You're being warned, Paul tells the church of Galatia. I'm forewarning you. And I forewarned you before that those who practice parapateo, those whose way of life do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, it doesn't get more clear than that. So your decision is, do I live like that? Or am I going to surrender my life to Christ? Here's the one thing that we need to understand. Someday, someday you're going to drop dead. And if everything that God said in his word is true, there's no bargaining. There's no backroom deals. There's no contracts. There's nothing you can do. It is appointed once for a human being to die and then the judgment comes. Please understand that. You die without Christ, you burn in hell for all eternity. There's no pardon. There's no parole. The president can't write a little letter to Jesus and say, oh, he's been in five years. We'll let him out now. We're going to put him on parole. There's none of that, church. None of that. Please understand, if you die without Christ and you're going to practice that as a way of life because you don't want him in your life, please understand, when you drop dead, that's it. It's appointed once for a person to die, and then the judgment. I know that's strong, forceful language, but if you are here today, and if you have not surrendered your life to the Lord, and the Lord is touching you, and he's hitting you right here, right now, I'm going to ask you to surrender your life to the Lord as he has been freely offered to you in the gospel. Please understand that there is no second chance. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I know the Holy Spirit is speaking to somebody in here this morning. I'm going to stop there. I want you to take a moment and I want you to think about what God has taught you in his word. I want you to think about how you are living out your life each day. Are there any secret sins that you continually pamper? Things that you know that if Jesus was sitting next to you in your home, he'd be disgusted. Are you still struggling by putting illegal substances in your body that God said thou shalt not? Because if your body is the holy temple for the Holy Spirit to dwell, he didn't give you permission to intoxicate and destroy your body. If, are there things you need to repent of? Are you watching things that you should not be watching? Are you allowing things into your home that if the Lord was there with you right now, he would never allow it and never want you to have it there? Do you need to do a temple cleansing of your body and your home are the things you need to remove from there. The Bible says repent. Repent means to go in the opposite direction, have a change of mind. That means that you will take all of those filthy things that are there and you will destroy them. 
Back in Ezekiel's day, they would take the idols and burn them. They would burn them so that they could not be used again. What do you need to, what do you need to throw out? What are you putting in your body that you know the Bible says thou shalt not? I mean, listen, we can come up with a million excuses and try to justify our behavior, but the Word of God doesn't change. It's immutable. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and forever. If you are here this morning and you are listening around the world, whatever country you're in right now, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is tapping your heart right now, and he's calling you out of darkness. He's effectually calling you, and he's woken up your heart. I am pleading with you. Now is the time. Now is the time. Now is the time to get right with God. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. You don't even know if you'll be alive tonight. If you are hearing this message wherever you are, and I know that we have had some 11 to 16 countries listening to us around the world, I want to encourage you to place your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. He shed the blood on the cross to pay your sin debt in full. And the way you receive all of that, the way it comes to you, is by placing your faith in him. That's how all of that blessing comes into your life. Surrender your life to the Lord. Give up the drugs. Give up the alcohol. If you don't have a doctor's note, give it up. Give it up. Stop giving your money to the drug dealer who's just going to use it and think about how many children are dying because that drug dealer's kept in business and you're helping them. We don't need to keep the state stores in business if it's destroying your home. Surrender your life to the Lord. And Father, I... I thank you for your word, and I, I pray that whoever's listening will leave here today or wherever they're at different than the way they showed up this morning to hear your word. Lord, I pray your word would not return void as you promised. Lord, that your word is like that great Ginsu knife that has the ability to pierce and cut into the deepest, most sacred places in our heart that we want to hide from you. But you said everything is open and laid bare with you, with whom we have to do. So, Lord, I know that you right now can see every corner and every vessel of our heart and our mind. You know our hearts and minds better than we'll ever know it. Lord, uh, create in all of us, please, Lord, a clean heart. Lord, renew a steadfast spirit within all of us. Don't cast us away from your presence, Lord. Help us to have the ability through your Holy Spirit to repent and turn away from the sin that we practice as a way of life that dishonors you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Please look up and receive God's blessing. Now may the Lord bless you.